Welcome to The Vine, a plant media project podcast with your hosts, Elizabeth Sheldon and Gina Vensel. The Vine is an insightful look into the world of plant medicine, exploring the changing landscape around cannabis and psychedelics and ending the stigma through educational discussions. Today, we have Charlie Winninger, the author of Listening to Ecstasy, The Transformative Power of MDMA. Charlie has been a psychotherapist in a private practice since 1989. He is a licensed psychoanalyst and mental health counselor specializing in relationships and communication skills, treating couples and individuals in his Manhattan and Brooklyn offices. For the past 20 years, Charlie has been a member of the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, or MAPS, which funds research into the use of MDMA, also referred to as ecstasy or molly, for treating PTSD, social anxiety, and other ailments. Charlie sits on the board of advisors of the Psychedelic Education and Continuing Care Program at the Center for Optimal Living in New York and regularly speaks there on the topic of psychedelics across the lifespan. Although he doesn't use MDMA in his therapy practice, he continues to benefit from personal experience with his medicine as it informs and improves his performance as a psychotherapist. Welcome, Charlie. Hi. Well, Charlie, welcome. <laughs> Hi. We're so glad to have you. Yes, we're yes, very thank excited. You. We're huge fans. Huge well, fans. good, good. I appreciate that very much. Thank you. Thank so, you. I'm glad to be here. So we always like to start out um, hearing a little bit about our guest story and um, just wondering how you became an advocate of MDMA and what made you personally come out of the chemical closet? Well, um, uh, how much time? How many hours? Do have? <laughs> oh, I'm happy to speak about this all day long. Um, okay. Uh, it's, uh, it's become my favorite story. Uh, but basically, um, I, I'm, uh, as we speak, I'm, I've been a psychonaut for about 50 years. I'm now 71 years old. Uh, and by the time I had met my second wife, Shelly, back in 2000, I had really pretty much given up on a lot of psychedelics. And I've certainly at the time gave up on MDMA. I didn't know at the time about the guidelines and the protocols. Uh, I was really in the dark about that, so I didn't know about hydrating. I didn't know about set and setting for MDMA. I didn't know about 5-HTP and other ways to uh, uh, keep it safe and minimize uh, the, the downsides. So I'd given up on it. But I met Shelly in 2000. Uh, she was a, a really straight-laced. Um, uh, and went right out of high school, right into nursing school, um, and um, was uh, was 49 years old when I met her. I was 51 back in 2000, and she was right out of a bad marriage, a repressed marriage, and she wanted to spread her wings and do new things. And when she found out that I was a, a, a long-running psychonaut, she said, I want to try ecstasy, which was what MDMA was called back in 2000. And I was floored. I said, you know, you who never finished a joint in your life, you want to like now do, do roll? You, you, you want to roll? And, um, but she said she wanted to, and uh, I was falling in love with her. So I decided to uh, uh, introduce her to it and, uh, and then join her in it as well. And little had I known at the time, I was so ignorant, 
that MDMA is really something that you want to do with someone else. I had always done it alone. Uh, and it's a, it's a medicine that really urges one to connect with somebody. Uh, and uh, to connect with a partner or a love interest is, can be a, a, a gorgeous experience. And that's what it was for us. So I hope I'm not going on too long here, but um, uh, this was the beginning of this uh, journey for Shelly and I. Well, first, Charlie, I have to say that I really loved um, attending your virtual book launch party. Okay. So it was really fantastic. And you had such an incredible panel with everyone from Rick Goblin and Alex and Allison Gray and Dr. Julie Holland. And I just appreciated your creative way of sending a signature in my book. And, and I got it right here. <laughs> I have it. So it's in my book right now. I want to show you. They can't see us, but I'm showing you right now. And I, I have a book sticker. now, too. I want a <laughs> signature. Good for you. And I, and I just you. want to thank you, you so much taste in books. <laughs> for the molecule necklace as well that you sent to me. I'm wearing it right now. So thank you so okay. very much. <laughs> but to me, your book is truly a love story. Um, and I want you to talk a, a bit about, if you don't mind, about how MDMA has brought you and your partner, Shelly, closer together. And is MDMA really a relationship super glue? Okay. Well, so our story and the book is really a tale of how two middle-aged professional people entered a world, a forbidden world, of psychedelic drug users back then and found it to be enchanted. Uh, and we also found that MDMA did magnificent things for us. Now, we already had a good relationship. It's not like we are some, like some couples. You know, many couples have real issues, and I certainly had uh, a lot of big issues with my first wife. Um, but uh, Shelley and I were, uh, were, were uh, unusually compatible to begin with. We didn't need MDMA, but we found that it added a whole other level of intimacy, closeness, depth, and joy to our relationship, which was a lovely surprise for two middle-aged people who were at, uh, over, the over the past 20 years, you know, navigating their way into old age, into being seniors, and now we're considered elders in the community. Uh, so we were, it was, a, it was a revelation for us that life, as we got older, could be uh, ever more joyous and ever more connected with new friends because it was also the story of us finding this community that was underground and we helped nurture it here in New York. Uh, and uh, people who are the best people you'd ever want to meet, uh, open-hearted, open-minded, smart, uh, good, 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 good-hearted people. And they become our best friends over time. Uh, so it was, uh, it, it opened our life in midlife to friendship, fun, freedom. Uh, and it was all because we really found out, we learned how to do MDMA correctly. We know, and we might have all heard stories, or we might be a living example of, uh, of someone who has done it incorrectly uh, and got into trouble. Because if you don't do it right, like any other uh, drug, uh, you 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 can uh, have uh, you can suffer. 
Uh, but we learned how to do it correctly. We learned that we'll, we will only do pure MDMA. And we learned how to do that by getting a testing kit legally over the Internet uh, at a, a group called dancesafe.org. Uh, we, we have a, a good uh, um, uh, way of uh, a good scale way a way of weigh, weighing it so we know exactly the uh, the dosage we're, we're, we're taking we know how to hydrate uh, during the experience we know all of, about the, the potential pitfalls and we take a day after to uh, recuperate which is usually a day of happy afterglow and we've never had a uh, a bad experience. Uh, we've we've rolled now about well, it's going to be close to seventy times over wow. the past twenty years, and uh, we have never had a bad experience or bad after effect. So um, it's been uh, just a, a thrilling ride for us, and so much so that I wanted to share it with the world. So. You wrote the following, and I just want to uh, read your quote and then ask you about it. You said, in a world that keeps us separate from each other, MDMA is the chemical of connection. It tells me there's no them, there, only us. That which keeps us apart from either our own true loving nature or from each other needs to be dissolved or evolved away. Tell us more. It's well, beautiful. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I believe that we are here to uh, to raise the roof and lower the heavens, basically to uh, to bring heaven to earth, uh, to uh, as I like to put it, land the first fully human being on earth, uh, and. Uh, that's really the the purpose. I think that's really why we're alive, is uh, along with that we're here to help each other uh, and to help each other wake up. I think that's the real purpose that we're here. And MDMA, psilocybin, ayahuasca, cannabis can all be tools for this purpose. They can all be catalysts for this purpose. Uh, that's why I'm very hopeful and optimistic about the times that we're living in, uh, even though the times are fraught with all kinds of problems and, and crises, uh, all kinds of crises. I'm very optimistic because of so many people uh, doing serious work on themselves with the use of plant medicines and MDMA and LSD. Uh, to really look at their own dark underside, their own uh, their own shadow side, and uh, and really uh, heal themselves, heal themselves of trauma, heal themselves of, uh, and, and and integrate the dark side into uh, into in, into their full personality, uh, and uh, there's a a. Um, critical mass of people that are doing these medicines now uh, uh, that I think are starting to already to slowly change the consciousness of the whole planet. So we are, um, we all have a dark side, right? My therapist always told me we all have that dark side. Yeah. So it's more about embracing it and understanding and 
um, maybe overcoming? Uh, yes. Well, I'm a I'm a, a psychotherapist, as you know, a Gestalt psychotherapist. So I, I really believe um, in integrating all parts of the personality, uh, in saying yes to all feelings. Doesn't mean you act on all feelings, but you acknowledge all feelings that you have. Uh, you try your best to make friends with all your feelings, even or especially those that are most uncomfortable to you. Uh, and you need help in doing that. Uh, a, a psychotherapist or a good shaman uh, can, of course, uh, be, be very helpful for these things. And uh, yes, uh, when you do learn how to integrate these sides of us, uh, the sides that we might feel threatened by, our inner demons, we can turn those demons into friends. And I have done that for myself. Uh, including the demon of fear, the demon of guilt, the demon of shame, the demon of hate. Um, these are all demons uh, that live inside of me. And if I deny them, they are more powerful. Uh, so I've learned how I'm, I'm still learning. I'm still in my own school uh, learning, and I will be always learning um, how to integrate these these parts of me so that I can I can have them instead of them having me. That's well put. Thank you. Very well put. And it's just been so amazing to to read so many stories about your history and you you've opened up and you've told some really exciting things. And I can tell you that I have to mention uh, how excited I was to read memory from your book. When you visited my hometown of Pittsburgh back in the 1960s, uh, you uh, mentioned how all of the hippies seem to live in the same building in shady side. Um, yeah. And it just made me like, chuckle. Yeah. Um, because, yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and that just, that's where I lived back in my hippie days in college, Charlie. Uh, so it just made me laugh, but the culture uh, that exists around these higher medicines, is something that's always fascinated me. And uh, you discussed this thriving underground culture around MDMA as this hidden yes. crowd. Um, and I was first in, introduced to MDMA by the rave scene in the late 1990s, uh, mostly because of my love for uh, electronic dance music that brought me on these wild excursions to discover these hard to find secret rave locations. And so many of those memories I will definitely cherish. But Wasn't I wonder, oh, it's so much fun. But I mean, is this is do you think that the, the culture and from your experience, though, um, has it helped or hurt the perception of these higher medicines? Because many people may still be considering, you know, MDMA tied with just a, a reason to, to get high and listen to music. Well, you hit on a few issues there, Gina. Um, <laughs> this is very interesting. Um, and I'm glad you're asking the question. Uh, I, I, I'm. I, I am very excited about the community. Um, I, my wife and I attended many raves as well in the 2000s and into the uh, 20 teens. Um, uh, they haven't had them more uh, too lately, that well, especially since COVID, of course. Mm -hmm. um, but we found that community, uh, we had a very particular perspective in that community walking into uh, a warehouse transformed into a magic land for the night with a thousand people, um, all of them high on one thing or another. And we're walking in 20, 30 years older than anyone there. Although we have a little, we had a little posse with us, but still, 
Um, and what we experienced immediately was a, a complete embracing of us. People made a point of coming up to us and saying, I'm glad you're here. And some had more, to, you know, were glad about me. Some were glad about Shelley. The women were happy to see Shelley. The men were happy to see me because we were like a, a model for them about how to age uh, right. So we found this community to be very embracing. Uh, and uh, we didn't take that for granted. Uh, and so I think it, it uh, was and remains uh, the, the, the community around Burning Man, for example. And mm -hmm. we've gone to regional burns like the Philadelphia experience or the PEX. Um, and uh, these are like, as far as I'm concerned, rehearsals for the future uh, and how good the future can be. So I, I have seen all only mostly good things. Uh, we've been to many of these events and, uh, you know, there's alcohol at these events. I've never seen one. And, and also at the regional burns where there might be a thousand to two thousand people. I've never seen one drunk person in years of going to these events. So there's something about the milieu, something about the atmosphere uh, that actually seems to encourage more responsible drug use. Yeah, some people get too screwed up and they, they get, uh, you know, they, they overdo it. And um, but there's, you know, protocols in place now that at these events, uh, people are there to help those people. And at Burning Man, there's Zendo to, 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 help, to help people go through uh, bad experiences or what we call difficult experiences, of course, because those are experiences that can be ultimately very helpful. So, but about the perception of drug use and drug users, um, would you mind if I read a paragraph from my book that sort of addresses this? We'd love that. Yeah. Okay, thank you. In short, it's a radically different paradigm of drug use itself I'm aspiring to. Instead of taking a drug to escape reality, I use it to remake it. Instead of using it to extinguish my pain, I use it to explore it. Instead of indulging in reckless abandon, I attempt to apply it with careful attendance to my evolution. I use a drug like MDMA to both glean the information I need for personal and societal solutions and for the invigorating fun and playfulness it provides to give me the wherewithal to pursue those solutions. There you have it. So well said. So, so well you. said. So. Um, so we've come across, in fact, an article today um, that these opposing viewpoints where, you know, they're saying this new wave of psychedelics is just a way for people to justify their drug use. Um, and we've also heard the arguments, obviously, about responsible adult drug use right. and, and the way that that can connect us to a deeper within ourselves, but also to the divine. So I'm yes. just wondering... Um, how you feel about these opposing viewpoints and um, when might the stigma and perception around these drugs, psychedelics, MDMA, um, that are helping so many change? How do we, okay. how do we change it? 
Wonderful <laughs> question. Wonderful question. And so relevant. First of all, we need to stop being on the defensive about our use of these drugs. Actually, let's stop using the term drugs. They're medicines. Let's okay. face it. They really are, especially the way we use them. Uh, and we don't need to justify ourselves for, 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 for using these medicines anymore. Uh, as a matter of fact, we could go on, we could be a little, even a little provocative and say, um, yeah, I'm, 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 a, I'm a proud user of these medicines because I believe in personal and societal transformation. What about you? Why aren't you using these? You might want to consider it. You might want to consider a, a, a book like Michael Pollan's uh, How to Change Your Mind or, or the, um, the, uh, even better than that, Charlie Winninger's Listening to Ecstasy. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, because there's a lot in, the, in these books that uh, will help you understand um, if you're somebody who, you know, is opposed to, to these uh, medicines, um, that there's a lot of good that can come from it. So the, way, the best way to combat the stigma is, of course, to use these medicines responsibly. Uh, but also, if you are not going to put yourself in harm's way by doing so, to come out of the closet. Uh, if you're not, if, if, if obviously, uh, unless it threatens your job, and then you can't do that, um, or if it, uh, or if you're a minor and you're living at home and with, with parents that you know are going to like ground you for a year, then uh, then there's a problem for that. Um, but uh, I I want to encourage people if they if they can find a way to do so uh, without putting themselves in jeopardy including emotional jeopardy, to come out of the closet. And you know what? The best time to do that is holiday time. Uh, as we record this, uh, uh, Thanksgiving is coming up, Christmas, Hanukkah, New Year's, all these great holidays where families get together in person or this year over Zoom. And it's coming out of the closet that starts shifting perceptions in family members. That's what did it for the gay rights movement. You know, people didn't think, conservative people didn't think that they knew a gay person and didn't understand gay people until they found out over the Thanksgiving table that their daughter or, 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 or nephew or mother or aunt are, 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 are gay because they came out. And, and it started changing perceptions uh, about that, and that's why we've seen such a sea change in uh, in perceptions of gay people and gay rights in the past only 10, 15 years in this country. Well, the same thing can happen with people who use medicines responsibly by coming out of the closet and letting people know uh, that this is what you do, and it's 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 good for you and the people around you. I think that that is excellent. Do you think that the language around it is something that we should consider too? Because when we started talking with folks about starting a podcast that also included psychedelics, that word, I mean, it was hard enough when, we, when Elizabeth and I first started in cannabis and we're telling people it's not weed or marijuana, this is cannabis, this is medicine, you know, but using that switch in language 
really was able to get us to move forward with the conversation. So I'm curious what your feelings are around the language around this. Uh, it, I, you know, when I first started writing the book, I was told, which was six years ago now, everyone was saying to me, don't use the word psychedelic and don't call MDMA a psychedelic. And because, but even in these six years, the public perception has started to change. Michael Pollan's book, Open Doors, every time there's a, a, a media report about the latest research about how psilocybin can help end of life uh, anxiety can help bring out bring, bring about uh, a whole awakening at any point in one's life a whole spiritual awakening how mdma can can help cure permanently cure post-traumatic stress disorder these reports slowly are changing public perception and psychedelics is no longer a dirty word. So I'm happy to use that word now. Okay. Um, and entheogen is a very esoteric term. Not, nobody outside of the community knows what that word is. And a lot of people inside the community don't know what the word is. So that's the, that's the concern I have with the word entheogen. It's a great word. It's a, it means what? God realizing or, or open, waking to the, the God within. Um, I guess that's sort of what it means. Um, but, uh, uh, and these, these medicines are tools for doing so. Um, but um, I don't know if it's as necessary anymore. Gina loves the higher medicine. She loves your term. I think that term, when I read it, I circled it, you know, in my book. And I said, you know, that to me it speaks and resonates with all people because if there's a medicine that can make them ha reach a higher consciousness or have a higher sense of self or have a higher sense of well-being, that is a medicine that takes you higher. So it, it, it's truly like a beautiful poetic way in my mind, instead of saying psychedelics, that it's a, it's a, it's a higher plant medicine, you know, it really is. And, and, and that whole, um, and theogen, what I was curious about is that it also is rooted in this connotation that, you know, these medicines are only for for the practice for religious purposes. So where that fits in, not only with, you know, just a responsible adult drug use, but what if, if you're using it for a treatment um, and not using it necessarily for a religious reason, maybe that, that name or that meaning could have, have a different connotation. That's right. That's right. It, it has a spiritual connotation and not everyone identifies themselves as a spiritual person. So they might be alienated by that word. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So as I hate to admit it and hide it, and um, I am getting ready to turn 60. So I have to tell God you. God bless you. <laughs> that's right. It's better than the alternative, right? You bet. Uh, <laughs> at least as far as I know so far. <laughs> Um, so I loved hearing you say that MDMA has helped you adjust and deal with aging and mortality and um, feeling that senior high. We also love that phrase. Oh, thank <laughs> um, you. But you say it's given you um, in your early 70s a new lease on youth, um, a few hours, you know, of being world weary. Um, and having an aging body, as we all do, as we're yes. headed down the path, um, that it, it gives you a brief vacation in Youthlandia, another word we love. Uh -huh. And, um, you know, again, I am, I am so, I feel so blessed to be where I am at this point in life, that, that all of these things have come to light. And um, 
if the FDA approves this prescription treatment, do you think that will also it will be available to people who are not inside the medical confinement of therapy? That well, yes, that's the hope uh, that once it gets approved for prescription use for to, to treat PTSD, that it, as like other uh, drugs uh, or medicines, um, get uh, used for off-label purposes. Uh, in other words, other labels so that doctors will then prescribe it for people uh, um, who are not necessarily suffering off, you know, suffering terribly. Uh, but MDMA, for example, uh, I found to be a, a terrific elixir uh, to uh, help one get in touch with the vitality that at any age is not far beneath the surface. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll uh, drop uh, uh, some MDMA uh, with, with my wife and maybe some friends and um, learn that uh, I can feel half my age and, and half, half my weight as I stand up and I start dancing to like to Gina, your, your favorite music, EDM. Um, uh, it, it's, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a revolution, revelation, a revolution in aging that I can feel so good and I can, <laughs> that, and that that vitality is not far away. And so when I come down uh, and the next day, and I have an afterglow, but then the, uh, a week later, a month later, I can still get back in touch with that feeling uh, and, and, and realize that, you know, that, that age thing, that, that, that image of what a 71-year-old is supposed to be like and feel like, it's just nonsense. It's just the real problem with aging isn't aging. It's ageism. It's the... the, the crap we internalize about the way we're supposed to slow down and uh and and not only slow down but um just have a, a long steady demise it's nonsense that's a stigma that that yes. in and of itself yeah so i i i wasn't gonna add this in but we have a, a few minutes so um, you know, I did uh, MDMA, LSD, all of those things in college, and MDMA, I, I, I loved it. I mean, how could you not love it? I don't uh -huh. know what it was mixed with, yeah. because I could, there were certain times I felt awful the next day, and I mm. love hearing that if maybe it wasn't pure, or I wasn't hydrating, or who knows, but I am so excited that, that it could come back to my life. <laughs> yes. It can, if you do it right, if you do it right. That's why I devoted a chapter in my book to safe, safe guidelines, because it's a big if. If you don't do it right, if you abuse MDMA, it will do the same to you. Uh, you have to do it right. And for Shelley and I, we've learned that that means we can't do it more, at our age, we can't do it more than four, five, six times a year. Um, if we do it more than that, we'll, it will start, we'll start regretting it. Um, because it takes something out of the body that not permanently, but temporarily, because it floods the system with, uh, your own dopamine, your own, uh, serotonin, and it takes time to recuperate from that. Uh, that's why we'll always do it on a Saturday, never a mm -hmm. Sunday where, you know, where I go to work on a Monday. 
Um, we always take a day to recuperate, and we get a lot of sleep that night. So that is true. That is the factor that it really is depleting your system. That's why you feel that depression. I, yes, um, but I but I don't feel the depression uh, because I am hydrating adequately. I'm only doing pure MDMA. Um, the night of, we, we, at bedtime, I, I take 100 milligrams of 5-HTP, which you can get at any drugstore or, 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 or vitamin store. It's uh, fairly inexpensive um, and perfectly legal, and it helps replenish the, uh, the serotonin. And I take it the following night as well. And in 70 almost 70 rolls. I have never had the, what they call the Tuesday blues, and Shelley hasn't either. And in the, uh, the trials, the clinical trials that they're doing now with all these people who are suffering so terribly from PTSD, none, nobody is reporting the Tuesday blues. Um, so if you follow these protocols, again, there's no guarantee um, that you won't feel that uh, downside uh, at the end, but you will minimize your chance of, 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 of that kind of uh, suffering at the end. Also, we do a lower dose. Um, the standard dose is 120 milligrams. At my age, I've learned through much trial and error that uh, 120, one gets more sensitive to drugs as they age. Uh, so uh, what I learned is that uh, if I did 120 or 100, 100 milligrams, even 90 milligrams, I, I zip right past the sweet spot and get into too much uh, jaw clenching and, and a little hyperventilation, and, um, uh, and it's, it's not pleasant. I do 65 or 70 milligrams now at, at this age, and it's, it's like I'm doing it for the first time. It's just wonderful. And I do want to make sure that our listeners know that you did outline so much of what you just discussed in your book. So if you are curious about all of this and want to make sure and that coming out of the chemical closet during the holidays is really good. And what better way than to buy listening to ecstasy and getting it for your family members for the holidays. So um, how can people connect with you, Charlie? We just, you know, we want to make sure that we, um, you know, help spread the word about your book, really enjoy it and enjoy the work that you do so much. So how can others connect with you? And, and get your book? Well, um, you can go online. Uh, you can go to um, uh, the Simon & Schuster site, or you can go to Amazon, punch in Listening to Ecstasy, and you'll see the book come up. Um, most people, A lot of people get their books uh, these days over Amazon, but some people don't want to use Amazon these days, so they, they, you can get it at Barnes & Noble. Uh, it's, it's available everywhere. And you go to the Simon and Schuster site, you'll get all these options about where to get the book. Uh, if you want to contact me directly, uh, um, go to my website, charliewinninger.com. Uh, and um, I might have to change the name of the website because my spell, the spelling of my name is a little unusual. So let me spell it for you. C-H-A-R-L-E-Y. Charlie with an E-Y, and then Winninger, W-I-N-I-N-G-E-R.com. Charlie, thank you so much for being here with us and, and spending time with us. We truly are super fans of yours, so we feel so blessed <laughs> you spent this time you. with us today. Thank you. 
Thank you. It's so good having uh, you, you having me on. I really appreciate it very much. We appreciate it too. And thanks to each and every one of you for joining us today as we feature Charlie Winninger, author of Listening to Ecstasy, The Transformative Power of MDMA. We'll hope that you'll subscribe to The Vine, a plant media project podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. And for cannabis and psychedelic news, please visit us online at plantmediaproject.com.